0: Welcome to the MMA Formula Podcast. Here's your host, Wim de Hey folks, welcome to episode 5 of the MMA Formula Podcast. Uh, as always, you can find all the links that I'll mention in the show notes and you can find that at mmaformula.com forward slash 5, number 5. And uh, that's the easiest way to find some of the stuff that I'll, that I'll mention. And also, you know, Support the show, guys. Come on, go to patreon.com forward slash MMA formula. Lots of exclusive content there. And that allows me to uh, host uh, the website and and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. So check it out there. Bunch of stuff already. Lots more to come. All right, let's get right into it. So why did I want to do this episode? Well, mainly because we've had uh, a string of really great fights these last few months. I mean, it's uh, almost March in 2021 here and we've we've had a bunch of really cool fights that i want to talk a little bit about and hope that if you missed those well go go watch them anyway because it's they're well worth it for for many different reasons so i'm gonna go over them some of them i have done uh, a knockout breakdown on my youtube channel and on my uh, facebook page so if you want to see that aspect alone how did um, the fighter knock his opponent out check that out. I'll, again, the links will be in the show notes and uh, I won't repeat that here. Here I'll just talk in general about the fight. Right. So so let's go let's go over Conor versus Dustin Poirier. Everybody was anticipating that fight. Uh, obviously, a lot of people wanted to see what would Conor do against Dustin because it's been so many years since they first fought, fought and uh, obviously, Dustin's not the same guy from before, but you know, neither is Connor. Uh, guys had some ups and downs. Guy uh, has had a really great career so far. And um, there was a lot of there was a lot of doubts about this. A lot of people were sleeping on Dustin, in my opinion that uh, the guy's a warrior. I mean, he's a fighter. He's very experienced by now. And I was you know, kind of betting that uh, it could go either way. But I was a little bit in the camp of, okay, let's, let's hope this one goes to Dustin. Mostly because I think he deserves it. And, and this is not me ragging on Connor. This is just, I think Dustin's had a few uh, tough breaks in his career. And uh, I kind of like the guy. Uh, you know, his personality-wise, he seems to be like a, a really great guy. So uh, it would have been great to see him get a win. Um, Connor, as you guys know, I have a lot of respect for him as a martial artist and as a fighter. What he's done is, is extremely impressive. But the, the the whole persona, the larger than life, the brashness, the you know trash talking—that's just not my thing. Uh, I don't care who does it, but Connor's like the biggest name, who's uh, who's introduced that. Well, not introduced. Uh, some of you guys will remember Tito Ortiz back in the day. He did a fair bit of trash talking, and a bunch of others as well. But Connor took it to a whole new level, and that's just not my thing. If it's your thing, God bless, enjoy. But I'm like, dude, come on! <laughs> I don't need the drama. I just want to see the fights. right? So that out of the way. Um, Connor didn't start like he usually does. If if you watch the opening seconds again, you, you'll often see him rush forward and you know do his do his low stands, hop in and out, and do a bunch of stuff, or just immediately throw throw a technique at the at the opponent. He didn't do that this time. So that was, uh, that was surprising to me. I didn't expect him to, to be... A, it looked a little bit gun-shy at first, in a sense, a lot more cautious. And if you just, just watch a bunch of his uh, previous fights and just watch the opening 10 seconds and see what happens there, and, and you'll, you'll understand what I mean. Uh, look at his stance that he usually affects than in previous fights and the way he, he was in his stance against Dustin. It was much more like a regular MMA stance with his hands relatively high and close to his face as opposed to the more extended card that he that he often likes to use in the beginning of a fight. So I was a little bit surprised uh, by that and also have to say that he looked a little bit more rigid. So was there something going on? Uh, was it mental? Was it, was there maybe an injury? Who the hell knows? Because guys, you, ha- you have to understand that when it comes to fighting, I mean, um, there's all the talk in the press, there's all the interviews, and there's all the uh, social media nonsense and so on, or, or just social media commentary that they that they give and and statements. Thing is, not a single fighter will give you all the details about his fight camp, uh, his training camp before the fight. Maybe after, not always. Uh, Connor's the best example when he fought. I think it was Max Holloway. I don't think it was Dustin, but when he fought Max Holloway, and I thought also when he fought Chad Mendes, uh, he had a torn ACL or not a knee problem. I'm not quite sure anymore no what it was, but I thought it was a torn ACL. Uh, didn't mention it. Uh, only mentioned it after the fight was over. So always take that into account. Whatever a fighter says beforehand doesn't mean anything. He, he could be lying through his teeth, or uh, and, and not in the sense that that you know uh, he's, he's being an asshole about it, but just. Mainly uh, trying to psych out the the opponent or put them on the wrong foot. Give them an impression of that things are going a certain way and then doing the opposite. I mean, I used to know a guy who before his fight, he would pretend to be tired and hurt and this and that. And and then, I mean, uh, he made sure that the the coach uh, of his opponent and the other fighters would see it. And, and then he just get, you know, start the, the round starts and he'd just be all over the other guy because he was just perfectly fine. So always keep that in mind uh, when you see a fighter, regardless of what they say. Watch what they do once they get in the cage. That tells you a lot more. So he, he seemed a little bit rigid to me. That was my impression. Again, contrast, uh, let's say all his previous fights with the first minute in the first round. Contrast that with the first minutes of the first round against Dustin, and and you'll see what I mean. So that was the first thing that kind of came to mind when I looked at it. And then the other thing, Dustin had like zero fear. He was not afraid to take it to Connor, uh, whether it was uh, leading and and taking the offense or just countering Connor. Uh, even you know he 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 ate a few shots from Connor as well. But he seemed unfazed and really like, okay, you know, I know I'm going to take this shot, but I'm going to keep going at this guy. And I um, was very impressed with the way that he played the psychological game. Because you, you know Conor tries to get in your head, right? I mean, I thought it was better this time. Um, he, he didn't have the same <laughs> over-the-top stuff that we, for instance, like you saw with Nate Diaz the first time Conor fought. Uh, just that press conference, uh, that that first face off was. <laughs> I mean, you guys remember. I mean, everybody went nuts, and then just big brawl almost uh, started out. So there was none of that against Dustin, but you know, you, you know, it kind of likes to get in people's heads. And uh, Dustin is just like, dude, I'm here. I'm right here. Come at me, bro. <laughs> and and he just kept uh, kept doing the work. And what I really liked also, um, and Dustin said that after the fight is that, you know, he tends to get into a brawler mindset. He tends to go overboard and take relatively, lot, you know, a lot of risks sometimes just pushing the pace and going after the other guy. Whereas what he said is that this time he was a lot more disciplined and he stuck to the game plan and um, he didn't he, he didn't get off track. He said only at the end when he saw that uh, Connor was hurt, that's when he when he kind of you know went to town, took a little bit more risks. But I would say that that is a calculated risk because uh, Connor Connor was clearly compromised. You could see that after uh, that that last phase, just before Dustin starts teeing off on Connor, you can see that uh, there's this exchange. Connor buckles as he comes forward. He eats that right hand from Dustin. Um, Dustin circles out and comes back to him, and Connor has to reset, and he doesn't really get to reset in time, and that's when when uh, the whole barrage starts from Dustin. Um, that's when the only time when he kind of you know cut loose and deviated from the game plan, but it worked out, so we can't we can't complain, obviously. Uh, uh, meaning his coaches can't complain because it worked, but this this disciplined mindset of taking his time, picking his shots. Uh, as opposed to just getting into, into these brawls. Remember the huge brawl he had with uh, uh, Justin Gaethje. Um that shows a lot of maturity as a fighter from Dustin. And and again, zero fear. Just being being strong enough psychologically speaking, mentally speaking, just to to do what needs to be done despite knowing that Connor is still uh, a dangerous fighter. That left hand can still you know uh, knock you out. So really, really well done. Next topic, that was the low calf kicks. Um, I wrote my book, The Leg Kick for MMA, uh, a few years ago, and I didn't include it on purpose uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, one was to keep the, the book focused. That's why I also didn't include the lead leg kick uh, in, into that book. I wanted to stay focused, and I've had some questions about that. Why didn't you include the, the lower leg as, as a target as well? Um, Like I said, in part, it was to keep the book more focused on on something specific, what I wanted to write about. But in other part, for me, the low calf kick is a high-risk, high-reward technique. Now, there are ways to manage the risk. They're definitely there. But I think in the way that MMA is structured with the the way that the rule set is, it's, it's relatively risky. And it'll it's going to take somebody getting really injured, like breaking 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 his foot or get a broken shin bone and so on, before fighters will be more nuanced with this technique. Because for the last few years, people have been going apeshit, and you can you can expect that after um, the fight we saw with Dustin versus Connor, that that fighters are going to go even more all in on that kind of technique. And again, nothing against the technique, but. Every technique has a has a risk-reward ratio, and this one, as long as it works, it, it's great. But if your opponent knows what he's doing and manages to defend correctly against it, you are A, compromised, off-bounds, and B, he can actually break your foot. Um, limb destruction is techniques that you find in more traditional martial arts. It's something that, that is, is not fully incorporated into MMA just yet. It's starting to get there, but... We're not there just yet. Um, the low calf kick is one that, I mean, you can mess somebody up really bad. And and one of the main reasons why we don't see it happening right now is that um, when you see the way most MMA fighters check leg kicks, they, they, they tend to just pick up the lead foot and not really rotate the the leg to the outside towards the incoming kick. So that means that they often still get hit. And also, they uh, they are obviously off, off balance afterwards, but they they won't be able to absorb the kick in certain ways that are very common in Muay Thai kickboxing and so on. Now, I, I know there's differences between these sports. That's not the point. You, you can actually, uh, in MMA, block or absorb an incoming leg kick in a different way than what you see done nowadays, f- for the most part. Again, not, not everybody, but most fighters seem to, seem to just pick up that lead leg as opposed to pointing it towards the incoming kick. Now, once guys will start to figure out like, okay, this this crap hurts, we need to block <laughs> that kick or we need to evade it or defend against it. Um, and and I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, all smart coaches will start working on that. Uh, we're going to see a lot of defense against the technique. And then we're going to start seeing people get really, really bad, badly countered when they miss with that low kick and then also you know get very seriously injured once the the nasty versions of blocking are being used so uh, at one point i mean uh, dustin kind of does a shin to shin low calf kick he hits connor's shin because because of the way that they're they're standing in their stance and uh, it looks like a pretty bad kick to take i mean it's it's those kind of kicks that if if you endure those you're gonna end up sooner or later injuring yourself now again high risk high reward and remember when anderson silva broke his leg against uh, chris wideband yeah that's what i'm talking about so if, if you are careless with the way that you use certain techniques you will you sooner or later someone's going to get injured now if it's worth the risk to you fine by all means go ahead but um for me uh, the point is to hurt the other guy and minimize the risk to yourself as much as possible and this is what most smart fighters do so there you go um so enough of that quick final point Dustin's pressure at the end was really awesome that was impressive the way he Took it to Connor and, and just not just crash into him by over committing to punches and, and, and falling forward. Um, the way he picked his shots, even when he was throwing big combinations, that was really awesome. Uh, I very much appreciate that. That was just a fun, fun uh, part of the fight just to see somebody put a lot of pressure on his opponent while still maintaining a good overall view of what is actually the result of all that, all that pressure. A lot of guys still, you you see them, you know, putting pressure on the opponent and and the only thing they're paying attention to is uh, their own striking, their own offense, as opposed to tracking what is the result of what you're doing and adjusting on the fly. And Dustin did that great. So I wanted to point that out. Um, Right. So we're going to move on to the next one. So so again, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes at MMAformula.com forward slash number five. The to the knockouts that the video the the breakdown that I did that, but now I want to move on to Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker. That was also a really fun fight to watch. Much shorter, <laughs> very different. But what I liked is obviously Chandler's debut in the UFC. A lot of people had a lot of doubts, and there's still this. You know, I wouldn't call it uh, a prejudice that is um completely justified but i get where people i get why people say it when they say that well you might be champion in bellator or any of the other organizations but you know once you get to the ufc that's uh when you really see what you're made of and, and i get what people mean i don't think it applies consistently uh when you look at everybody who's in bellator or any other organization there's some really good fighters out there uh, that are not in the UFC. So, and and what people tend to forget, I think, is that, I mean, guys like Chandler, they're training with UFC fighters in the same gym. It's not that they're off into their own Bellator island where uh, there, there's no mixing with other competitors. That's not how it goes. These guys train together. You see, you see guys from one championship and Bellator and UFC and, and what have you. All being in the same in the same gym, training with each other. So keep keep that in mind. If if you're one of those people who thinks that anything but UFC is uh, is bullshit, um, uh, you should watch some of the training footage of uh, the other of guys who fight in other organizations. How they train with UFC fighters? You might be impressed sometimes. Uh, um, really fun training video was uh, Kamara Usman uh and michael chandler just just wrestling and there you can see that i mean these guys are are both at a high level chandler has I mean, he doesn't have to uh uh you know uh, submit to whatever usman's doing usman had his hands full this this was uh i mean very impressive so keep that in mind when when you have your thoughts about guys coming into the ufc from somewhere else right so anyway the reach difference with dan was was significant obviously chandler's not a tall guy Dan hookers is a pretty tall guy for his weight class and the reach difference was was really significant but chandler managed it well he managed it really well there's always a threat everybody knows that he hits hard and he will shoot in for the double leg or single leg or what have you so people tend to be on their guard and he he threatens his opponents with that but he was so effective with that, and Dan was never really able to to put on any offense really not any serious offense and Chandler kept him on his toes and on his bike the whole time so that was what I think was the key and it's one of those things that as as a fighter, you know you know that you've got this guy in front of you and he's a knockout artist, and everybody knows it, and you know it. So, it's very easy to start to think in those terms. Like, okay, I gotta, I gotta be careful. I gotta watch out for this. I gotta watch out for that. And I hope it not you know, I have to make sure it doesn't hit me with that big overhand and so on. Because you, you've seen all the previous opponents going down uh, when they were caught with those techniques. So, it's very easy to get stuck in this role of, well, you know, I'll just play defense and I'm picking apart from a distance. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always work. And and this was very clear here when Chandler would just kept pushing the pace and trying to cut off the cage and 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 keep keep Dan moving, and eventually he caught him yeah, surprisingly not with a big overhand right but he caught him, and then that finish man that was brutal. I mean uh, he just put a beating on poor Dan that that was very impressive, very explosive, and I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to say it again. I've been saying it for a long time. Look at what happens when fighters end up in kneeling, half-kneeling, and sitting position. For the longest time, the whole the whole MMA world was like, nope, this is bullshit on the ground. There's only what we see from BJJ and wrestling. Anything else is nonsense. Yeah, whatever. Um, like I said, I've predicted, we're going to see more and more kneeling, half-kneeling, and sitting position striking. And, and, and more unorthodox striking. Because we see guys being successful at it. And they're going to be more interested in what you see from traditional martial arts that 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 is there uh, already. that have been doing this for a long time for different reasons than fighting in an MMA fight. For different reasons, that's the point. But it doesn't mean that you cannot use those techniques. You have to adapt them. Anyway, that's, that's my my big rant on, uh, on a lot of the bullshit that I see in MMA. The, the main thing is that I've been training for a very long time and, and I remember the days when, when, you know, MMA was and the fans and the and the fighters and the coaches were really looking down on traditional martial artists. And, and I felt like, hey guys, you know, I think you're kind of missing the point. Um, because I've, I've seen that that happened, you know, over the years, uh, from, from boxing, uh, towards traditional martial artists, then, then it was kickboxing then it was Muay Thai and then it was MMA. So that cycle has repeated itself a bunch of times. And it's, it's just funny to see that happen every time with a new audience that discovers that, hey, people have been fighting for thousands of years and maybe some of the things that applied, like a few hundred years ago, we can actually adapt it and use that in the cage. But dismissing everything out of hand just feels so stupid to me. Um, and, if, and if you disagree, it's fine. But look at like UFC 1, the striking and the fighting that you saw there, and look at what you see now. We see jump spinning back kicks, we see people leaping off cages, we see uh, uh, the most insane kind of striking techniques, Superman punches, Jose Aldo jumping backwards and uh, jump, jumping up in the air and, and launching himself off the cage into a Superman punch. We see the craziest stuff that if I would have showed you that 25 years ago, you would have said, nonsense, that's that's, that's traditional bullshit that never works. So anyway, another rant done, <laughs> right? Okay, let's move on, guys. Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. Amazing fight, amazing fight. I mean, we all know that Max is great, and 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 but Calvin Calvin's. I mean, he's no slouch. The guy's got really great striking. Uh, he's got a wonderful jab. Uh, his crossing bad uh, bad either, and he uses his range very well. Um, so I was really looking forward to see what that was going to be like, but Max just basically put this enormous beating on him that was was extremely impressive. I mean. It was a combination of things. The the first thing is look at Max's footwork. He's he's got really great footwork. He uses typically short steps so that he can constantly keep his feet under his center of balance. So he constantly adjusts his footwork and he also rarely overcommits. And even if he overcommits, when he has to take a, a shifting step or a full step, he's still basically in balance and is able to both attack and defend as he does that shifting step. So the footwork is, is what you should focus on. Uh, everything begins and ends there. And then the other aspect is, I mean, he's got insane cardio. The, the, the level of output that Max showed in this fight was just enormous. And I, I think it was in the fourth round when he just he just goes to town for like half a minute, like nonstop striking. Calvin tries to get away. Max is on him and, and just keeps unloading. And that was extremely impressive. It's very impressive. If if you've ever been in in uh, in a fight like this, and and with that I mean competed, you know what it's like to just push a pace, and then remember that these are five minute rounds, and Max had already been doing this for for at least three rounds before he just switches to an even higher gear, and just accelerates like that nonstop. And you know I've seen some people online talk about, yeah, but it's not the hardest punches ever. Sure, but we all know that um, Max's style is not knocking somebody out with one punch. I mean, he's a volume striker, and it, he just whittles away at you until you've got nothing left. So so it, it's, it's just a, a strategy that fighters have. Some guys go for the knockout all the time, other guys not so much. There's some variations um, to that theme, but the point is that with, with the way he fights, um, this is going to completely consistent and at the same time I mean just do it yourself if you think it's so easy get it you know go compete and try to do like a 30-minute sprint where you just non-stop strike your opponent so extremely impressive very very difficult to do um, another point was that the the, the rear leg sidekick here check out how Max does it it's not a full rear leg sidekick because he doesn't pivot all the way in it's very close to it, kind of like his combination between sidekick stom kick um it had a little bit of a deep in it sometimes, not much I mean kind of like this hybrid. I very much liked how he used that because he consistently attacked calvin's lead leg with that and and just it seemed to come out of the blue very often pretty much every time you you could see that Calvin would expect some more punches coming out, coming his way all of a sudden that 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 rear leg sidekick just popped up and and blasted him in the, in uh, in the lead leg. So, very very neatly done. Very much underused technique. You don't see it a lot. But notice how Max was really good with landing it, setting it up, just very explosive and and non telegraphed, landing it, and then getting his leg back right away, recovering very well. So so check that out. That's, that's a technique worth investing some time in if uh, if you are so inclined. I want to end this segment with. Just to point that Calvin Cater is a beast, man. Uh, he it was extremely impressive how he just hung in there and and tried to keep going. I mean, the level of mental toughness that he showed in that fight is is um, it's one of the things that I like to see in fighters. It it's it's just that the guy, there's no quitting in the guy. He's like, okay, I'm taking a beating, I'm not giving up, and this is extremely hard to do when you're in a fight like that um there's there's, there's several uh, I've written an article about that, and I'm, I'm going to um, post it on, on MMA MA formula when I have the time to revise it. but how to overcome your fear of fighting and, and and one of the things is that there's a gradual approach to fighting when you train is that you don't start i mean the stupidest way to start your training um, and, and it's still it still goes on in, in many gyms, is you come into the the, the gym for the first time you've done nothing beforehand; they put you in the cage with the biggest beast they can find, and that guy just beats you up and Then they see okay, how do you react to it are you gonna you know never come back uh do you do you just give up and curl up on the ground, or do you try to try to give it back to the guy? They just want to see what your mindset is. I think that's nonsense that is the stupidest way to train somebody um it has to do with the, the way that adrenal stress is um is, uh, affects the human body and we're all different in that regard. And, and you can actually train people to be more resistant to it. But if it's the first time they've ever encountered that, it, it's extremely difficult to predict how they will react. And it's at the same time, you won't always react the exact same way when you are put in that position of extreme adrenal stress, that's, that's the key point. There's no consistency that you can count on. Sure, you know guys have a more of a leaning towards one way, uh, towards fight, flight, freeze, and, and the other ones, but the point is that it's 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 a very poor and inconsistent and imprecise way of measuring the fighting spirit of uh, a new member of a gym. I hate it when when coaches do that. I think it's complete nonsense. Uh, it's also very dangerous. You you can very seriously injure somebody. And it's, it's there's better ways out there. Now, why did I say that? Well, if if you've ever been in, a, let's say, just a sparring session, if you don't compete, uh, a sparring session where you're fighting this guy and you, you realize at one point, he's better than me. I can't beat this guy. I can try to not lose, but I cannot win. And if I'm not careful, he's going to knock me out or he's going to put me on my ass. And that was what happened with Calvin he he realized that he couldn't beat max it wasn't it wasn't happening at there wasn't at any any stage in the fight in any round there wasn't any time a moment where you could think that no max is done max max is in serious trouble here he's not going to make it quite the opposite so that kind of um experience if you if you haven't had that before i can tell you that it's very difficult to get through it because a part of your brain will want to give up. And this is part of the adrenal stress um, mechanism that we have. There's a part of you that wants to submit if you let it. And everybody has a point of no return. A point in which that you can't fight anymore. Um, and, and just overcoming that and, and being able to withstand that kind of punishment and keep going. That is extremely impressive. In many regards, just as impressive as the way that Max fought. And, and you saw Max give him mad props uh, to Calvin after the fight. So uh, a lot of respect for both guys. And, and just if you, have, if you missed it, I think Max now has the top three um, records of maximum number of, striking, uh, of, of strikes done in a fight in the UFC. So um, it was insane. It was insane. All right, uh, I'm going to move on. We've got one more, and then I'm going to get to uh, Cyril Gaunt's defense. And uh, as I promised a while ago, so Corey Hagen knocking out Frankie Edgar. Uh, I also did uh, a knockout video breakdown. Put the link in the show notes. And just impressive as hell. I feel bad for Frankie because I like Frankie a lot. He's one of the you know one of the old guard now. I'm sorry, sorry Frankie, I'm older than you, but we have to admit that we get older. Frankie's fought a lot of great fights. He's a and, and he's also one of those guys for me that I think like I would have loved to have him, you know, be champion for a while. Um and 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 just reach all the way to the top and and, and get that belt and stay there for a while. I would have loved that Frankie would have gotten that. I don't think he will. I think he's getting a little bit older. And I mean that knockout, that, that jumping knee was just insane. Corey Stanhagen. It's a little bit unorthodox. It's a little bit quirky, but he's become a really impressive striker uh, the last few years. I, again, he's a little bit bizarre the way he moves sometimes, and he's got this offbeat way of of doing things. But there's no argument that that I mean, if you remember the the, the spinning back kick knockout that he did on Morales, it's I mean, and now we've got this jumping knee, and that was that was impressive. I mean, he covered a lot of distance with that knee. A lot of guys manage to do that when they're close, but from the distance that Corey did that that that's really impressive. So that was a great fight, and um I'm gonna stick to these these four I think that I did, yeah, but did four. um If you missed those fights, t- give them a look they they're worth watching for the reasons that I mentioned and this last one, San Hagen versus Edgar,'s just that it was just an impressive knockout. I wanted to mention that um really, really well done. all right. Last part of the podcast episode. So I I promise to do that. So I will do it. Um, Talking about the defense of Sigil Gann. Why? Well, he's one of the heavyweights with the most potential that I've seen in a long time. Um, My bar for striking in combat sports is relatively high. There's not a lot of heavyweights that I think are great strikers. A lot of people get upset with that. That's your problem. Um, My standard for... Technical expertise in striking is relatively high. That's one of the reasons why I started MMA Formula. Because I wanted to talk about that. And I think that there's a lot of um, progress that can be made for the average MMA fighter. And the heavyweights in particular. Me being a heavyweight, I, I speak of experience. Now, that's why I wanted to talk about Gan Because I think he, he has a huge potential. has potential to be champ. And he's t- he's still young enough to, to evolve in, uh, and and get even better still, and I really enjoy the way that 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 he fights. I think it's it's well worth uh, taking a closer look, and also using for yourself because all the things that he does so well that allow him to beat up his opponents and to fight the way he does, any heavyweight can use them. One of the biggest rants that I sometimes do and I'll try not to do it now is that just because you're a heavyweight doesn't mean you have to be slow doesn't mean you have to lack technique doesn't mean you have to have crappy defense doesn't mean you have to have bad cardio there's absolutely zero reason for that and I to all the MMA heavyweights out there get off your lazy ass and train get in shape work on your technique work on your tactics, and so on. There's a zero reason. And the reason why heavyweights don't is because they can get away with it. That's the problem. Because with one shot, they can knock somebody out in the first second of the fight all the way up until the last second of the fight. And I think that is, as a professional martial artist or combat sport athlete, I think that's a horrible way to go about being a professional. Um, I come from an era where when I competed, Uh, (laughs) self-funded I didn't make a dime ever competing never won any prize money because I I, I'm from a small country and there wasn't anything to gain and all the international competing that I did uh, European championships world championships all that stuff had to pay for it myself so that's why I have uh, uh, an axe to grind so to speak when I see heavyweights nowadays complain a that they don't make enough money. I'm like, dude, I mean, I wish it for you, but, you know, <laughs> be, be happy that there is money to begin with. Uh, that's one thing. And also earn it, man. I mean, put on a show, make sure you, you, you step into the cage, the best possible version of a fighter that you can be, as opposed to coming in and being out of shape and not having good technique and just standing there trading blows until somebody falls down. Yeah, I know a lot of fans want to see that, but um, that only goes so far as we've seen happen in, in combat sports for for decades on end. Anyway, so Signor Gaon, that's why I, I enjoy talking about the guy. think he's got a great potential. think he's going to go far. And uh, I will mention also that I am doing a bonus podcast episode over on Patreon uh, in which i break down his fight against Jairzinho Rosenstruck, and that is the way you pronounce it. Jairzinho y- 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 Rosenstruck. He's Dutch. I speak Dutch. You don't, so you're wrong. I'm right. Anyway, all joking aside, um, why is Cyril's Gaan's defense interesting? Well, it's integrated. And it's integrated in everything he does. It's not just one thing. And that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit. Now, first up is movement. He's, he's constantly moving. He's very light on his feet. He moves easily and comfortably. Um, A lot of stand switches, you see that also? And he's got this kind of elusive lead hand. He he moves his lead hand around in different ways, pawing with it, circling with it, and so on. But it's it's constantly moving. And he uses all that to keep things standing, and mostly at long to medium range. Because that's where he can use his speed, his technique, and his reach the, the most effective way possible. So watch how he fights. And you, you'll see that he he's constantly doing that, a lot of movement, but light, controlled, relaxed. He's very relaxed in the cage. Contrast that with a lot of guys who are heavy footed and, and just very rigid in the way that, that they move. So that, that is, This is the, the, the key skill that allows him to do all the other things that I'll mention. is He's, he's able to move constantly, very easily and and it doesn't use up a lot of energy when he does so moving on to the next part that flows from that and that is footwork he he moves very easily again he combines lateral footwork he creates angles he can suddenly slow down and even stand still and then get into footwork again and and in particular he's able to back up very quickly when you charge him but at the same time that that gets him out of range from the guy charging him. He is able to reset immediately and counter or take off at an angle and, and you run past him and he can circle out and uh, reset uh, at his own uh, leisure. So, so the footwork is, is also really good. And again, it only comes from this ability to, to be very relaxed, very light on your feet, and then use that effectively. Practically speaking, he, he steps in and out really well. Now, this is a staple of Dutch and French kickboxing and Muay Thai. It's just it's like Muay Thai one-on-one in Europe. And in particular, the Dutch and French school um, is that they don't just charge or stand in front of the opponent, but they step in and out. Now, if you combine that with the previous, that means that he can move in, land a shot and get out before the opponent can counter. And that is worth a lot because that means that he can strike and will not be countered or hit as he does that. So that makes his movement and his offense have integrated in such a way that it keeps him safer as opposed to somebody who steps in and then stays there and dukes it out. Or is slow in getting out and gets countered. Now there's another aspect to that, and, and that is that you, you rarely see him swing for the fences. Again, the, the, the fight with Rosenstruck is a great example of that. Rosenstruck, in my opinion, is, is technically speaking the lesser fighter, uh, but he hits so damn hard that if you get hit by him, you're going down. So the point is that um, Rosenstruck tends to swing for the fences. And if he can't do that like we saw in the fight, but again, the bonus episode on Patreon, I'll talk more about that. Um, you don't see Gan doing that. Um, quick reminder, getting power in your techniques, getting a good a good impact in your techniques, just uh, you know from physics, we know that mass times acceleration is that's what you get, well, that's the way you do it. Well, he's a heavyweight. Gan's a heavyweight, so he has the mass. <laughs> it's there. It's, his body is heavy. Every heavyweight has that, which is what makes them dangerous up until the end, like I said. Um, But it's mass times acceleration. So what Gaon does is he focuses on speed and technique. That means that acceleration is there. So he accelerates better than a lot of his uh, opponents. And because he has good technique, he can put his mass into his arm or leg or whatever he's using very well. And as a result of that, Transfer his mass into the technique, and you get a lot of power that way, and it doesn't cost you as much energy as when you try to swing for the fences with everything you do. At the same time, this makes him less vulnerable to counters, because he can move in and out quickly. He's more explosive, harder to read, and it also stops him from overcommitting and falling forward into your opponent's counters. So, so that's a part of defense that is often overlooked. Um, is the the way you throw your techniques. Don't just try to knock the guy's block off all the time. But we see this in boxing also. If if there's a boxer who only throws power shots, more often than not, he's going to get chewed up. Same thing here. The next thing I want to point out, tactically speaking, is that he changes targets and techniques very, very often. He's going to hit you all over the body. It's going to be leg kicks, high kicks, body kicks. It's going to punch you in the head, in the body, He's going to throw a lot, of, a lot of straight shots but but also angles his shots in a little bit he can angle his jab and and it keeps coming at you from slightly different angles with slightly different techniques and different targets left right it's it's all over so that makes it difficult to anticipate what he's going to do next and therefore harder to attack or counter him so just being a little bit difficult to predict automatically makes you safer because once your opponent can read your moves, it's easier for him to counter you. Um, fighting, as I've said often, is about setting patterns and breaking them. Or creating illusions with patterns and using that against your opponent. And and, and Gan's very good at this. It's, it's hard to read. He's hard to read. It's hard to see what his pattern is because he keeps changing it up. So that is, again, the, the experienced striker knows how to do that. Now just on a pure technical level um some stuff is that he keeps his non-striking hand relatively high when he punches which a lot of heavyweights don't <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at you francis and ganu and and they train together so <laughs> francis should know better but uh, a lot of guys just drop their hand and and gan isn't perfect with it but he's pretty damn good with his with his non-striking hand so that automatically keeps you safe because your your hand and your non-striking arm are in a position to defend. As opposed to when you drop them down by your hips or you, you let that, that hand flail all the way back. It's it's going to take time before that hand comes back to be able to defend you. Time you don't always have. But if you keep your hand close, then you, you've you got a better shot at defending. And that is a numbers game. It's such a percentages game. Uh, what are the odds that there's going to be a counter that comes at you and then you're going to need that hand to defend against it. Well, X amount, X percent of the time, that's going to happen. Well, you know, if the hand's there, it's there. If it isn't, you're out of luck. Next up is that he covers well. So uh, when he's close, he he covers well, uh, especially in the clinch. He he tends to have a a really, really nice cover and and then control his opponent. But also when he moves out of range. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about that Um, in in a minute, about the downsides of his, uh, the, the flaws maybe in his defense. But he tends to cover up well what he also does is he is he tends to use relatively small head movements to slip punches um a little bit tricky sometimes but he seems to have the timing for it and uh, and be perceptually ready for it so he he tends to use his slipping relatively well to you know get out of the way of punches or or get into a clinch and and this is all the stuff that when you combine it it's um it, it it makes him very hard to hit. So his defense as a result of that is is pretty damn good. Now a little bit of a downside here. In my opinion, he relies a bit too much on being able to retreat quickly. And and then he drops his hands. Not all the way, always, but sometimes he even does that. But so on the retreat, he 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 reads distance well and he anticipates well, and very often he's for me, for my taste, a little bit too chill there. Uh, should be maybe a little bit more on high alert once, uh, once he starts backpedaling and and the guy uh, surprises him by being fast. Because sooner or later, he's going to face somebody who's also really good, who also uh, has good footwork. And the best way to defeat yourself is to pretend that you'll always be faster, stronger, better than everybody else. So you, you want to have built-in into your defense that how would I fight a guy like me who's just as good as me, or if, or who's better. And then being overly confident on certain abilities you have is always dangerous. And the other thing he does is, for my taste, he, he relaxes a bit too much at times when he recovers from a kick or when he resets into his fighting stance after an exchange. He, he tends to drop his hands and, and kind of take a, a, a physical and a mental break. So that is, the, it's called active recovery so that you don't, you're not always tensing up your muscles because that, wi- that wipes you out really fast. And, and Gan doesn't have that. He stays very relaxed, but a little bit too relaxed sometimes. Um, my students hate it when, when I do that, when I let them get out of range and let them relax and in particular let them think that they're out of range. And then all of a sudden I clog them with a, with a high kick or something that covers a, a lot of ground and, and so on. So um, again, uh, Gan is very tall. He's got long range, so uh, long reach, sorry, so he 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 tends to be relatively safe when he gets uh when he recovers from a kick or gets out of uh, out of an exchange. But I don't like the way he he always, you know, he sometimes, I should say sometimes, relaxes and chills out a bit too much and seems too much at ease there. It's fine as long as he is not compromised. This is the kind of thing that when you get tired or when you get clocked and you're really seeing all the tweety birds and stars uh circling around your head uh, that's when you you pay a high price for this kind of thing so consistency with defense is is very important right that's it so like i said i'm gonna do a bonus podcast episode on uh, the fight Garnet with uh rosenstruck on over on my patreon so um Check out the Patreon. That's at uh, Patreon Formula. Uh, patreon.com forward slash MMA Formula. Sorry about that. To so Patreon.com forward slash MMA Formula. Like I mentioned, all the links that I mentioned are at MMAFormula.com forward slash five. So that's number five. And that's it for this episode. Um, a, a quick shout out to all the new followers on my YouTube channel. <laughs> there's a bunch of you that really enjoyed the uh, the video I did on Conor McGregor versus uh, Dustin Poirier uh, uh, and that that knockout breakdown. Um, I, I don't read all the comments because there's so many of them, and, and, and some of you guys are so far out there. <laughs> I mean, give me a good chuckle. Uh, some guys got really upset with my with uh, my comments. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's your life. Do whatever you like. Uh, But some people appreciate it, and and that's always great. So when you leave a comment, uh, I appreciate that. Um, Speaking of, um, if you, uh, I'll I'll see for next episode, I'll do another Q&A. So if you have questions that you want me to answer, uh, leave me a comment, preferably on my Facebook page. The link is in the show notes or over on YouTube, but preferably on Facebook because uh, I tend to see those easier. Uh, the, the YouTube comments tend to be, I mean there's there's so many sometimes that I miss them and then you know uh, I won't uh, I won't be able to respond to you. Uh, if if you can, the easiest way to leave a comment is go to my Facebook page or uh send me a message on my on my on my MMA formula Facebook page Facebook page. Again, the, the comments um the link sorry is in the show notes. But well, that's it guys. We've got a lot of great fights to look forward to in uh, in the future we've got uh Adesanya who's moving up a weight class and that's going to be a lot of fun i'm, I'm really looking forward to see how that goes against blachowitz um, john jones is waiting in the wings to enter the heavyweight category um i'm not sure how well he'll do we'll see i'm very interested i haven't seen a lot of his training footage but i'm, I'm still looking forward to that i think it's going to be a while But um, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. So we've got a lot of great fights to look forward to. And I hope uh, we can talk about that a little bit more in the future. And I'll see you all then. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the MMA Formula Podcast. For more information, go to www.mmaformula.com.